I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by conscious endeavor. Henry David Thoreau. Today we're going to be talking about the first half of the book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. And this is a very powerful book. You know, a lot of people are misled by books with kind of this style of title, you know, the Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or the Four Hour Work Week. And they think it's just tips and tricks. No, no, no. These are paradigms. These are principles that you can live your life by. And this is a very powerful book. People always underestimate the, uh, the power of reading, the power of learning. And one of the things that differentiates, you know, effective people from non-effective people, you know, you're kind of can break people into rich friends, poor friends. You know, you can study the habits of your poor friends and study the habits of your rich friends and do as Abraham Lincoln said, which is learn from everybody, even if it's what not to do. <clears throat> so you should be constantly be learning, constantly be kind of analyzing things that are going on. <clears throat> With this, we are not our feelings, we are not our moods, we are not even our thoughts. The very fact that we can think about these things separates us from them and from the animal world. Self-awareness enables us to stand apart and examine even the way we see, quote-unquote, ourselves, our self-paradigm, the most fundamental paradigm of effectiveness. So this is, it blows me away always that this isn't something that's fundamentally taught to us as children. You know, why, why aren't paradigms taught in school? You know, the way we see the world. The world is not really what happens to you. It's how you react to what happens to you. You know, in two, we, we have this kind of mistaken view of cause and effect. A lot of people have kind of this victim mentality. You know, for example, if, if somebody, uh, if two people, exact same situations, you know, got fired from their job, one goes, oh, that boss was terrible, you know, it's all their fault, um, you know, now I'm going to go to the government for unemployment and collect social security, that's how one person views it, you know, it's not what happened to him, it's how he reacted to it, and the other person, let's say he gets fired from his job, he has a chip on his shoulder, he says, you know what, I'm not going to rely on somebody else providing my paycheck. I'm going to seek out on my own and do my own thing. I'm going to start my own business. I'm going to start my own income streams. I'm going to start learning, investing in myself, investing in you know, real estate, investing in digital assets like crypto, uh, stocks, different things like this. Basically diversifying your income so you don't have to rely on that employer. So you learn from those mistakes and you upgrade your paradigm and go, okay, it affects not only our attitudes and our behaviors, but also how we see other people. It becomes our map of the basic nature of mankind. And I think fundamentally, the important thing with this is really that principle from Abraham Lincoln. I, it's so powerful. You know, learn from everybody even if it's what not to do. You should try and extract lessons out of everything in life. You know, you shouldn't just see, see things as arbitrary. Nothing is arbitrary. Things have meaning to them. This world has so much meaning to it. You know, you, you don't want to go into a situation and just take, take it for take it for granted. No, no, you want to extract a lesson from that. You want to extract a learning lesson, if not to help you, but to help people, next generations, and pass down the lessons you've learned to them. You know, that's one of the things that differentiates wealthy families from poor families, is that wealthy families, the great men and women of that family that have lived great lives and learned lessons, they pass down that wisdom to their children, things that are not taught in school. Whereas poor families, they pass down kind of these these negative ideas, you know, this, this idea that, that um, you know, you kind of have this victim mentality. And although they don't obviously say you have a victim mentality, they pass it down through these examples like, oh, you know, we rely on an employer for our paycheck or, oh, we rely on the government or, oh, we rely on, 
booze, for example, for our, you know, that we are not in control of our own lives. And that's really what this book is talking about. And I'm going to repeat this quote by Henry David Thoreau and really, really take a second and think about it. I know of no more encouraging fact than the unquestionable ability of man to elevate his life by conscious endeavor. Man, how powerful is that? You know, until we take how we see ourselves and how we see others into account, we will be unable to understand how others see and feel about themselves and their world. Unaware, we will project our intentions on their behavior and call ourselves objective. You are not objective. It's very important to realize that there's three different things you have to understand as far as perspective. You have subjective, intersubjective, and objective. And those are just three basic ones. There's multiple other ones. But subjective is just your personal point of view, you know, the way you see the world. For example, if, if you and a friend are at dinner with your father or your mother, you may think that you guys are both seeing the same thing, but you're not. You, you both are seen through different perspectives, different lenses. And you, so you're literally seeing two different things. You are seeing all the memories you have of your whatever parent you're sitting down with. Let's just say a father. You're seeing all the memories, all the things he said to you, all the things that um, you, know, you attribute to him, whether that be success, whether that be failure, whether that be disappointment, whether that be anger, whether that be happiness. And your friend is probably sitting there with a little bit of respect, you know, a little bit of awe, a little bit of curiosity. And what's important fundamentally is to always have curiosity, always be interested in learning things. Because once you close your mind, that's the day you'll stop growing. And the day you stop growing is the day you become stagnant. You know, there's kind of this momentum. Think of it kind of, there's kind of this tipping point that a Malcolm Gladwell talks about. You can kind of think about it at the top of a mountain. You know, if, if you worked your whole way to push this boulder up the mountain, as soon as you let go of that boulder, it'll take you double the time to just get it back where you currently are. So you must keep the momentum, get to that tipping point and go over. And that's really where curiosity gets you. And I hope you guys fundamentally understand that. It's so important. And the reflection of the current social paradigm tells us we are largely determined by our conditioning and our conditions. While we have acknowledged the tremendous power of conditioning in our lives to say that we are determined by it, that we have no control over what influences, over that influence creates quite a different map. There are actually three social maps, three territories of determining widely accepted, interdependent, or in combination to explain the nature of man. So there's genetic determinism. There is... Uh, there's, a, there's like environmental determinism. I won't get too into that, bore you with that. But basically, as Eleanor Roosevelt said, you know, no one can hurt you without your consent. It's it is our willing permission to consent what happens to us that hurts us far more than what happens to us in the first place. So that's kind of this idea of not taking things too personally, seeing things objectively, because most people are just too trapped up in their ego. You know, if, if you're trapped in your ego, everything that happens to you is happening to you personally. But if you can look at things objectively, you know, step out of this subjective perspective, step out of this and, you know, I was talking about that, you know, you're both seeing through different lenses at that dinner table. Another example is a, a young kid, you know, if, if that young kid says, hey, meet my friend Billy and you come over to him and he's standing alone, that young kid, you go, where's Billy? The kid would say, look, he's right there. He's my imaginary friend, Billy. From his eyes, 
his perspective, his subjective perspective, Billy is a real thing. But from your eyes, your subjective perspective, it is not. And then we move into inner subjective realities or false realities. For example, things that humans just created and everyone believes is, is a real structure. But really, it's not. It's, objectively, it's not a true structure. For example, uh, you could say things like currency. You know, before we had really um, large groups of people, you know, before we kind of gathered in these cities, these large populations, it was reciprocity. You know, we, we traded things, you know, two clay pots for chicken, um, four bales of maize for, uh, let's just say, uh, a horse. You know, like basically you trade different things and based on reciprocity, that's how you got it back. So this currency is just really what currency stands for is reciprocal altruism. And it, you need to understand things fundamentally. You know, most things that are taught to us are just explained that are just intersubjective realities. Another example is government. You know, objectively, there really is no government. The objective truths are things like gravity, nature, um, physiology, uh, geology, all these different things that it doesn't matter your opinion, it is there. So, you know, the, basically universal truths is what that, what that comes down to. Air, you know, our need for H2O, our need for oxygen. And now I'm really going to go over the, uh, the main outline of these first, uh, these first four dependent into independent habits. You know, this is kind of the maturity continuum that Stephen Covey lays out in the uh, beginning of the book. You know, after that first section, the paradigms and principles, he kind of lays out this graph of the uh, maturity continuum. And that's really dependence to independence to interdependence. And that ties in with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, which are basically the hierarchy of needs of human beings. And really what Maslow's hierarchy of needs teaches us is we start off with psychological needs, we move into safety needs, and those are those two pillars are basically our basic needs. So you can see this is like a triangle. You know that very base tri- that very base is psychological needs, and then we move into safety needs, and that's our dependence. You know you can. The reason I'm explaining Maslow's hierarchy of needs is because it ties into Stephen Covey's maturity continuum, which is that dependence, independence, interdependence. And if I'm moving too fast with this, you can always rewind it. I just want to get through these things so we can move on to those first three um, habits that he lays out that are very powerful in the dependence into interdependence, you know, that self-mastery. And so we covered the basic needs, the dependence, which is psychological and safety. And then we move into the uh, physiological needs. And this is belongingness and love needs and then esteem needs. And that's kind of the interdependence. That's, that's what we're or sorry, that's the independence, my, my apologies. So that's the esteem needs and the belonging and, and love needs. And that's the psychological in Maslow's hierarchy. And then in Covey's maturity continuum, that's the independence. And then lastly, in, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you have the self-actualization. That's kind of the highest pinnacle. That's kind of the tip of the pyramid. And that's the you know, self-fulfillment needs. That's, you know, what, what your purpose is in your life. But you have to go through all those other ones to really reach that self-actualization. And that's the interdependence. That's the kind of top pillar in the maturity continuum. So it's interesting how those two things correlate. And, uh, you know, Stephen Covey's a brilliant man. You can really understand this if you uh, read this book. But, you know, one of the fundamental things that's so important with this is, is habits. You know, there's, there's a great book, another great book called Atomic Habits that kind of plays off this. And... 
I'll, I'll return this quote probably at the end, but as Warren Buffett says, the chains of habits are too weak to be felt until they're too strong to be broken. So habits can be negative or positive. And what you must understand is our minds, our brains are wired. We're basically servo mechanisms. There's a great book called Psycho-Cybernetics and our brains basically are goal-seeking mechanisms. So they're goal-oriented. They focus on a goal and they move towards that goal. And that goal can either be something you consciously choose or something that is subconsciously chosen for you. And that's why, um, you know, his, one of the, uh, the first three habits that is so powerful is begin with the end in mind. Because either you can have things subconsciously happen to you and be reactive. For example, the, that person, back to that example with the person who lost their job and, you know, they relied on Social Security. They're all heated. They say, you know, screw that employer. Screw them. Um, I'm going to find another job. Uh, or they're just like pissed off in general and maybe they don't want to find another job. They're being reactive to that situation. Their, their ego was hit. They're not thinking about it rationally because rationally, it doesn't do you any good to go, um, you know, screw them, f them. I'm not going to do. I'm going to get on social security. No, no, no. That doesn't. That all that do is does is drag you down. So when you analyze it from the proactive sense and go, okay, I since I have a job, I must understand that a possibility. You know, it, it is a possibility that I will get fired. And when that day comes, if I am negative about it, if if I am. Uh, you know, reactive to that and, and just have it hit my ego. Well, that's not going to be good for me. That's not going to be good for my family. That's not going to be good for my future. That's not going to be good for anyone. So becoming basically aware of the chains of habit. So the chains of habit include being proactive with things. And that's really, you know, I wish I had more time with this episode. I'm going to try and keep it to 15 minutes, but this stuff is just so amazing to me. You know, the chains of habits are too weak to be felt and they're too strong to be broken. And that's really what I was talking about with that kind of boulder in the mountain. So you can either use this, this idea that it's not even an idea. It's a fact that our brains are servo mechanisms, that they're goal seeking, basically they're goal oriented. It's kind of like a heat seeking missile. You know, once you, that's basically what it ties into with the end with the or begin with the end in mind. That's, that's habit two that he lays out in the you know, first three habits, the self-mastery, getting from dependence to interdependence or independence rather. And remember, we talked about Maslow's hierarchy of needs and the maturity continuum laid out by Covey. But understanding that that kind of mountain that I was talking about, it, it, you got to be able to work, 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 work to get to that tipping point as Malcolm Gladwell talks about, another great book. And then once you get to that tipping point, that momentum down is so much easier. But the chains of habit, that's what's so important is, for example, once you have gone 30 days without drinking and you don't have that feedback loop of every day thinking about drinking, you've kind of broken that habit. You can, you know, use that, that replacement. So you can basically, you know, in Indiana Jones where he has that bag on the, on the weighted plates and then he switches it out for something really quick. You can, you can kind of do that with habit. So you can go, okay, let me replace that drinking with working out or let me replace that drinking with uh, learning how to play guitar or replace that drinking with uh, uh, starting Muay Thai, starting Jiu-Jitsu. You know, these basically different things that are actually more addictive, more fun than alcohol. Alcohol is terrible for you. It's, it's a net loss. It's a lose-lose, which is a, a later habit that he talks about, which is focusing on win-win situations. <clears throat> So I didn't get, mu- get much time to really focus on the, uh, <clears throat> the first three habits, but really what they come down to is be proactive, <clears throat> begin with the end in mind, and put things 
put first things first. And maybe I'll do a little second. Uh, I, you know, there's, there's a lot with this book. It's so powerful. And I even, you know, a couple days ago picked up the, uh, the second book in the series, which is uh, Living the Seven Habits, The Courage to Change. And, and I'm thinking about reading that, uh, you know, maybe tomorrow. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll really go into those first three habits. And then down the road in the same series, we can uh, focus on independence and then interdependence. So thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe. And until next time.